0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is when this hits your ears. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. If this is your first time listening, or if you're a regular listener of Murder and Mediumship, I'd like to ask that you give this podcast a 5-star rating and review on iTunes so that each victim story can be heard by more listeners – And also, I would like to say that anything you hear on this show will have source materials linked in show notes, and my feelings on each case are based on intuitive hits and downloads, and everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before I get to the case, I'd like to invite you all to check out Catherine Ann Intuitive on Patreon. There we share weekly energy updates, monthly energy reads, journal prompts, interviews with murderers or celebrities who have passed, as well as monthly self-care workshops. In fact, join us September 21st for our monthly self-care workshop and then our interview with a surprise celebrity on the 28th. Thank you for your help supporting the show and spreading of the voices of those who have lost their own. Imagine you have been through a series of abuse, and I mean abuse after abuse after abuse. Your mother is a drug addict, your father is not around, and you and your older brother are placed into the foster care system at a very young age. After surviving physical, mental, and sexual abuse in the foster care system, you land at a beautiful horse farm with two loving foster parents who are actually ready to adopt you, to take you in, make you their own, and love you. You spend three years in this loving home, thriving with animals, being cared for and loved as every child has the right to, and feeling a sense of safety that you had never known to exist prior to this family taking you in. Then, for whatever reason, your auntie in another state decides to take you and your brother in, at the request of your drug-addicted mother. Now, I'm not shaming this mother. Addiction does not discriminate across race, gender, religion, social upbringing, whatever. However, this Aunt Rose, she didn't want these children and evidently was quite outspoken about this. She had an adult daughter and had no desire to go through this phase of her life again. So begrudgingly, Rose Starnes took Yasmin Agree and her slightly older brother DeMarcus into her Chicago, Illinois home moving Yasmin and her brother DeMarcus from their comfortable, loving home in Kentucky across state lines to a place that they would now call home. Despite all odds being stacked against this beautiful young woman, at 15, Yasmin was an honor student. Nevertheless, her early experiences in life left her with a slew of behavioral problems that even required that she was to be with an adult she trusted at all times. She was afraid of riding the bus alone, even to go to school, and didn't like being left alone. And while she was seeking therapy for these behavioral issues and for these things that she was struggling with, it didn't necessarily mean that she was facing them all that well on her own still. Yasmin's Aunt Rose May owned a duplex on the west side of Chicago, and rented out the basement apartment for some time, as well as the flat or upstairs apartment. I'm not really sure in the exact details of of this, as it sounds that there were two parts that were rented to tenants, and then the part of the home that they lived in. One of the tenants, 58-year-old Charles Burt, was not only one of the tenants, but Rose's boyfriend at the time. Rose also had an order of protection against Charles, but this wouldn't stop her from seeing him. And he is actually the last known person to have seen Yasmin. Earlier in the day on January fifteenth, two 2008, Yasmin went to the YMCA, where she was to begin her first job. After returning home from the YMCA, she did a load of laundry, according to Charles, and went to bed. Now, by this time, DeMarcus had already moved out. You can find him on various YouTube video comment sections stating that he ran away from Rose Darn's home, but I don't believe we can 100% know that, number one, this is him on these comments, and number two, if he really did run away, because according to Rose, she asked him to leave her home when he was 16 because she couldn't handle his behavioral issues anymore. Clearly, we have had a little bit of he said, she said here. Now, like his sister, Demarcus also had a number of behavioral issues from being tossed around a broken foster care system in Kentucky for years. So Yasmin goes to bed around 8 o'clock that night, and the next morning, she would have woken up and been out the door for school. But when Charles went to take some trash to the dumpster early in the morning, he noticed that the exterior entrance to Yasmin's door had seemed to have been forced in and the padlock on the door was broken. And I'm a little confused here as well because I'm not sure whether this padlock was on the outside or the inside, though I'm imagining it's on the outside, as Yasmin would have been only using the interior entrance to the rest of the home where her aunt was living while Yasmin was living in the basement apartment essentially on her own but with her aunt upstairs. I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I surmise from that. So regardless, Charles assumed upon seeing her door appearing to have been forced in that Yasmin had probably gone to school early. (laughs) Because we force ourselves out of apartments with, like, bolt cutters? I don't understand. And just to go back here, because I know this is going to outrage some people and even the fact that she's left alone with this guy who has a previous record and also an order of protection, an active order of protection against him. She's here alone with this person and he's the last one to see her alive. But Aunt Rose was out of town at a casino with her oldest and biological daughter on the 15th and into the 16th. On the 16th, when Charles saw this door broken in, he assumed that Yasmin had left for school, but then later when he spoke to Rose much, much later that day, he told her how the door was wide open and it seemed like someone tried to break in. Now, when you hear Rose recount this in in an interview, I, which I, obviously I will link in the show notes, but when Rose recounts it, she says that she realizes that Yasmin was normally home early on Wednesdays. The 16th was a Wednesday. She wasn't home by 3 p.m. and that's when things started to get curious to her, but I'm also my understanding is that she didn't call the police until about 5:30. So, anyway, he couldn't get a hold of Rose that day to let her know that anything had happened because she didn't have a working phone at the time. And I've seen varying reports of whether she didn't have a working phone or she didn't have one at all, but it doesn't make sense as to why Yasmin would have run away. She was afraid of even riding the bus alone. And not to mention, she left her glasses behind and evidently had a very hard time seeing without them. I've said it before. If you told me to drive or walk a long distance without my glasses on, I would be lost. It, could, it couldn't happen. So this man with a violent history, violent criminal record was left with Yasmin alone overnight, at least one night that I can tell. And then on top of it, she was suddenly missing the next morning and no one could get a hold of Rose. Once Rose is home and notified of what happened while she was gone, she does call the police to report her daughter missing. She called the police at about 5.30 on the evening of the 16th, almost a full day after the last time Charles saw Yasmin. As if that's not bad enough to have lost that much time in an investigation, the police didn't show until after 7 p.m., an hour and a half later. I can't even imagine the frustration that Rose or anyone would have been feeling with such urgency. And, and it took over an hour and a half to get an officer out there. And then even when an officer does show up, you know what I'm about to say. Despite the broken lock, the forced-in door, the leaving behind of her glasses, any money that she had, all personal belongings, they said she probably ran away. It's also my understanding that she had run away once prior, but returned quickly And even then with that history, you can't get very far without your glasses if you truly need them to see. Remember a few episodes back, we talked about how most children who run away are mostly in need of even more help at home? It's rarely some selfish brat from a great home just looking to go make it on their own. There's usually some sort of family business going on there that they're trying to escape. There's always more to it. It's not ours to judge who needs the help. It's our job to help. The scene wasn't processed the way a crime scene should have been because they immediately labeled her a runaway. The lock that was broken, I believe, wasn't even taken into evidence until days later. And tragically, making the trail run even colder, a group of teenage girls who went to school with Yasmin told police that she had called them after leaving her home on the 16th to tell them that she ran away. I'm not sure why they did this, but it further made police believe that they were right and Yasmin was a runaway. Until phone records were obtained and it was proven that these girls were, in fact, lying. Yasmin had never even called them. One of the biggest issues, next to the police not treating this like a kidnapping, was that Rose Stearns withheld information from the police. They didn't exactly go door-to-door and canvass the area asking questions of neighbors and those in the surrounding area, but the one person who had some seemingly crucial information, one person closest to the investigation, Rose, didn't even offer it up. She didn't want to be wrong and accuse someone of something so heinous. I can't even imagine not bringing forth this information because clearly Rose didn't have the best discernment when it came to tenants like Charles or with who was around her daughter, Yasmin. Another tenant was living above them and his son, 38-year-old Jimmy Terrell Smith, was out on parole after serving 10 years for an attempted murder. We aren't even there yet though because she still didn't tell them this. Jimmy had actually moved out shortly before Yasmin disappeared, but was still associated with the family through family friends. It was reported that he had paid special attention to the 15-year-old, and she had even made mention of him in her diary, her diary that police didn't get a hold of until months after she had disappeared. In that diary, she wrote about how much she missed Jimmy and his, quote, sexy ass, and other shockingly provocative things about him, considering her young age though this isn't surprising considering her history of abuse. If he gave her the attention she so craved and she didn't really know what was right or wrong because of how, sh- how screwed up and inappropriate her upbringing was, then she wouldn't have even maybe identified this as wrong or suspicious or, or uncomfortable even. It sounds like he was grooming her though, and truly his name makes my stomach turn. When I initially felt into Yasmin's case prior to doing any research, I heard, I'm not that far away. And I got the sense that it was dark out when she was taken, as well as the sense of this being a person who was, quote, always lurking nearby, which makes even more sense now than it had when I was feeling into her disappearance. A couple of things gave me chills as I found information that supported what I had seen. Number one, I heard her say, I did what you always said, Auntie. And while I'm not sure what I did what you always said meant, I clearly heard Auntie. That not only did I find that she was raised by her aunt who adopted her, but in an interview, Rose was referred to as Auntie. And I felt a wave of confirmation come over me when I heard this and honestly chills up and down my body. I also felt that she was tortured and kept for days, which, keep listening, you'll see why I think there's truth to this allegation as well. And then her brother DeMarcus making his allegations that Rose would lock them in the basement apartment for days and whip them with a belt and withhold food as punishment. I'm not sure if it was her kidnapper or her auntie that was guilty of the torture, but I would venture to say that in different ways, it was actually both of them. Now, fast forward a few years. With no suspects officially named, Rose sees a news report about Jimmy Terrell Smith, her tenant's son, who was living with him not long before Yasmin disappeared. Jimmy was arrested for holding four women captive in an old garage, which is kind of part of what I saw. That cement cold feeling and that, that look of just an outdoor... Not outdoor, but like an enclosed outdoor space, so like a garage or something that might have a similar feel, like a basement. So I say these women, but truly two of them were children. They were ages 22, 21, 14, and 14. They were kidnapped and held at gunpoint. For two days, he held them there where he repeatedly sexually assaulted them. And it is now that Rose sees this on the news that she comes forward and tells police about his relation to Yasmin, where he had been living, and how he moved out just before she disappeared. She even told police that she hadn't wanted to falsely accuse him of something like this, so he was never investigated in a timely manner when they could have put his name out there from the very beginning. Jimmy was given a sentence of 120 years in prison for this crime, this kidnapping and assault. But not before stabbing his public defender in the face and throat and then hiring a hitman to kill the judge and prosecutor, unsuccessfully, might I add, involved in this case. Good thing he was never falsely accused of kidnapping Yasmin, though, huh? So now that he was on police radar for this case, for her disappearance, he was questioned for over 30 hours in relation to her disappearance, He could not elaborate, excuse me, would not elaborate on what he knew about what had happened to her, but would only tell them that he knew what did happen to her. I can't imagine that anything was being offered off of his sentence for the kidnapping and assault of the four other women, and then throw in trying to have a judge and prosecutor killed. No one would have been willing to work with him for information, so I wonder if he just didn't feel like giving it to them. And at the time, he was also claiming multiple other unsolved homicides in the area. So this is three years after Yasmin disappears, and now finally the police search his property. He's not even living there. He's been in prison. I mean, come on. His girlfriend or fiance, wife, whatever she was, his significant other had moved out. He's not even living there. And now they're searching, and, and evidently they took like four bags of evidence with them, but who knows if it was even pertaining to her case or to other things that were going on with him. In 2013, a few more years later, Rose and a cousin, Reverend Ira Avery of Greater St. John Bible Church, went to Cook County Jail to meet with a, quote, man connected to several rapes in the area. Though his name in relation to Yasmin was not released, officially pertaining to this interview, you can connect the dots yourself. I will not point any fingers or connect any dots here for you, but this man had admitted to having information about her disappearance and actually gave three separate jailhouse interviews to the Chicago Tribune. Not only did he say that he had information about her, but he could even provide identifying factors that had not been released to the public around her, like what earrings she had been wearing, details about her clothing, and further led the Reverend and Rose to believe that Yasmin Acri was deceased. He told her family that he had taken Yasmin to the 2200 block of South Spalding in Chicago and that he had she had killed herself, and he subsequently burned her body to conceal the evidence. Let me just say here that, yes, I do believe this is the responsible party. I believe that he did take her to where he said he took her. I do not believe for even one second that she killed herself, but that he strangled her after assaulting her. And what's coming to me, too, is that he took other girls here. And I say girls because it really feels like they weren't old enough to be considered women. I do believe that if he did burn her to conceal evidence... He also buried something of her, of hers. Not necessarily her remains, but something of hers. And I don't actually think that she was burned though. I heard her say when I asked her, Did he burn you? She said, No, he's just fucking with them. I do not believe that she will be found, and I do not believe that he will ever. Ever half time added to his sense for what he did to her, nor do I believe that the legal system is concerned with righting any of these wrongs. I will say this though two police officers and a sergeant were punished. To what extent, I do not know, for how the case was mishandled in the beginning. Internal affairs was involved, and I don't know the extent or any details of their punishment, but corrective action was taken. Further, I feel Yasmin was let down repeatedly by law enforcement. She was let down by her aunt for being mistreated and abused the way that she was. She was let down by Child Protective Services, both in Kentucky and in Illinois, for taking her from the family in Kentucky and then yet again dropping the ball when CPS or whatever they're called in Illinois failed to see what was going on in the home of Rose Darnes. I understand being overwhelmed and who knows why she agreed to take these children and maybe she was doing the best that she could, but that was not good enough. Girls like Yasmin need our help. Children like Yasmin need to be seen as victims, not as runaways, because even as a runaway, a child is still a child and that child is asking for our help. If you have any information that could lead to the arrest, conviction, just information in general about Yasmin and what could have happened to her, please bring it to either the FBI or the Chicago Police Department. Yasmin deserves justice, and she deserves her voice to be heard. Thank you for listening to Murder and Mediumship.